1: from the nation's capital this is the fly fishing consultant podcast with your host rob Snowitt. October 1st, 2019, this is episode 244 of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast featuring Kayla Royce of Trout Unlimited, Alaska. This episode is brought to you by Sweetwater Brewing Company. Kayla lives in Alaska and works for Trout Unlimited. She hunts and fishes its waters that depend on a healthy, unclear cut, unmined, and undrilled wilderness. In this episode, we're going to hear all about her life as an Alaskan. Here's a brief quote from the Washington Post, because this is a very timely podcast, which is why I mentioned today's date. President Trump has instructed Agricultural Secretary Sonny Perdue to exempt Alaska's 16.7 million acres Tongass National Forest from logging restrictions imposed nearly 20 years ago. The move would affect more than half of the world's largest intact temperate rainforest, opening it to a potential logging energy and mining projects. Timber provides a small fraction of southeastern Alaskan jobs, just under 1%, according to the Regional Development Organization Southeast Conference, compared with seafood processing's 8% and tourism's 17%. You only have a few days to act once this episode goes live. Quickly share this podcast link with others on social media and please encourage them to contact the representatives and to click on the links and sign some documents. We're going to try and all help protect this globally unique ecosystem. Sweetwater beer, it just tastes good. But there's more you should know. Sweetwater Brewing has been making tasty brews in the heart of the South since 1997. You may have seen their beers featured on an early episode of The Walking Dead. Throughout the year, Sweetwater partners with several like-minded organizations to promote water and land conservation, allowing them to give back locally, nationally, and globally. This October, Sweetwater is partnering with Casting for Recovery, a program that helps women battling breast cancer through fly fishing. Please visit SweetwaterBrew.com and pick up a sixer to bring to your next event. Hopefully, where you live, Sweetwater is available. If not... Contact your local distributor. Let's talk to Kayla now. All right, we have Kayla with us today. You want to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, hey guys. Um, my name is Kayla Royce. I work for Trout Unlimited Alaska, and I am based in Juneau, Alaska. And so, Trout Unlimited is actually a national based organization which protects and conserves freshwater spawning habitat for salmon, trout, and steelhead. And so here in Southeast Alaska, my focus and outreach is sort of with all of our local streams, all of our local waters around Southeast Alaska.
1: And you are a native Alaskan.
2: Yes, I was born and raised here in Juneau.
1: Do they have native stickers up there?
2: Um, No. Well, so technically I'm not native Alaskan, but I'm native to the land. So my I'm third generation Alaskan. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. My grandfather moved here in the 50s 60s or so so yeah
1: (laughs) fantastic and who is your fur baby
2: my fur baby his name is lego (laughs) um and he's a tank he's my favorite
1: (laughs) dude's got a big head on him
2: yes he does yeah he's an english lab so that's like i walk him through the woods and i you know tourist season comes around and he's like scaring tourists in the trees because he romps around and they think he's a bear
1: and you're the first person who i've ever emailed that wasn't in town because they were moose hunting (laughs) so do not I got an office reply out of town you were out shooting a moose huh
2: yes yeah so um it's kind of the Alaskan way of life right is to um to hunt and fish for our food for the winter and I've always I've tried so hard in years past to to deer hunt and whatnot and uh, this year I got super lucky and I got drawn for an, any bull moose permit. And so it is sort of just a way for Alaskans to, you know, get meat for their families. And so that's exactly what I did. It was amazing. I've never seen an animal so big, like let alone, you know, killed and harvested an animal so big. So it was really amazing.
1: What does that look like up close? How big was that moose?
2: Oh my gosh, it was huge. It was bigger than a horse. <laughs> it was, I can tell you the gut pile was massive. I was really, I was kind of set back by it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I couldn't get that far. Shooting yeah. it would be difficult for me, but having to open it up, I would probably lose my breakfast.
2: Yeah, well, luckily I had a group of dudes that have all done it before, and so they were all super helpful. Like, I didn't necessarily have to get in there and get, you know, figure it all out. I mean, this animal, I, you know, it was, I think I brought home almost uh, 800 pounds of meat, so. Wow. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was incredible. <laughs>
1: What is going uh, to be your favorite meal out of that moose?
2: I I just love a simple moose steak, actually. Um, the moose burgers are super great, too, though. You know, the yeah, the burger meat is great and it's super lean, so you don't feel, you know, it's not like a greasy spoon diner that you go to.
1: <laughs> and Have uh, you ever grown the giant heads of cabbage up there or the giant I pumpkins? I have
2: not. Southeast, we typically don't get enough sunlight for that in the summer. We get, like, too much rain. If I had a greenhouse, I think I could totally do it, but the rain and sun ratio is a little bit skewed here in Southeast. So a lot of those cabbages and whatnot are more, like, south-central, up in the valleys, and they get some awesome sun throughout the summer. All right. Definitely, yeah.
1: So was your childhood pretty much outside, (laughs) hunting, shooting, fishing?
2: Yeah, not not as much hunting as it was fishing. I grew up in a super fishy family. My grandfather um, worked for Fish and Game here in Juneau. My dad just, um, he worked for a float plane company while I was growing up. And so our summers were spent out on, like, remote lakes camping and fishing and just sort of, like, berry picking and scavenging. And, you know, where I grew up in Juneau is actually right below, like, Mount Juneau and Mount Roberts. And so my parents were like, all right, like, go outside. <laughs> go play. And there were a few kids in the neighborhood, you know, and we'd knock on each other's doors and we'd just go run around the woods. And yeah, it was a super great childhood. It was a, it was a great way to grow up.
1: When you come out to DC, are you in complete culture shock?
2: It's kind of crazy. Yeah. The last time I was in DC, I, I mean, I always enjoy it because especially, you know, walking around the mall area and whatnot, it's great. There's so much culture there, but there's just so many people. Yeah. There, I mean, I don't necessarily enjoy it um i prefer to go on vacations where i'm like left alone (laughs) you know and i i like the thought that uh walking around in the woods here that you could be standing somewhere that like it's possible no one else has ever stood in that exact place and that's not something you typically find in the east coast (laughs) yeah
1: and when you were growing up did you plan on being the one of the, the voices and protectors of your environment and your surroundings
2: I really didn't know I sort of grew up and I you know I went through a phase where I was super into fishing or I wanted to get super into fishing I should say and I you know I've always respected the outdoors but I never really saw myself as that voice and then I started working for um, the local fly fishing shop here in Juneau um, about five and a half years ago or so and just working there I realized that there was such a gap in you know both just, yeah, there's no young voices out there um, to speak up for like what we care about and um, or what we should care about. And so I just felt like it was really important that, you know, I need to get involved and I need to, to start understanding and learning and educating myself and educating others. And so it just sort of, you know, tumbled from there and (laughs) here I am.
1: And this would be an awesome podcast if it was just about you and all your fishing (laughs) and life up there. But Again, we've got to deal with some political issues that we thought yeah. we were done with, and one and this is one of the things I worked on in college was trying to get the Wilderness passed by Clinton. Yes. And now we find ourselves in a muck again. It's been in the New York Times, the Washington Post, to use website to Alaska. So let's talk about the Tongass right now and how listeners can voice their support and do some protecting. That should already be done, and we shouldn't be having to do this.
2: I know. It's kind of a heartbreak. Yeah, so, I mean, if the, for the listeners, if you've never been to southeast Alaska, the Tongass National Forest is the largest national forest in the U.S., and it actually covers just about all of southeast. And yeah, it's about 17 million acres, um, and under that, about 9.4 million acres are protected under the current roadless rule. You want to explain the
1: roadless rule for those that don't know?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of like the roadless rule is such a, I mean, for a lot of people, it's confusing. But um, cut and dry, the roadless rule prohibits new road construction and commercial logging on this 9.4 million of forested acres. And so right now, under the current congressionally um, designated lands, it only protects like one third of the documented fish habitat. And so that's why the roadless rule protections are so critical for these backcountry fish and wildlife habitat areas. And so the roadless rule is it's intended to keep public lands public, salmon and trout habitat, wildlife habitat, you know, deer, bear, eagle habitat, um, and strong economies all in place and protected for future generations.
1: Economies being fishing commercially, uh, tourism, ecotourism. Yep. What else goes on up there?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, around here, yeah, the fishing and tourism industry is huge. And so I think that, I think now I want to say about a million visitors visit Southeast Alaska annually. And that's just, th- you know, through a five-year period, five, five-month period of time, uh, mostly on cruise ships. But a lot of those people, you know, we also get a lot of people coming to places like the SeaTuck River in Yakutat, You know, a lot of people going to Cordova, the Sayu River, you know, Juneau. It's a lot of um, ocean fishing around here for salmon and and halibut and whatnot. Um, And all of that, you know, the commercial, the sport and subsistence fisheries, um, as well as tourism, really drive southeast Alaska.
1: Are those people going to show up on tour boats if the Trump administration allows (laughs) mining and logging and oil drilling up there?
2: That one's a hard one. Yeah. I mean, do you really want to come into a to a city that's been you know, has blatant clear cut swaths through the middle of it? (laughs) That is the question. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, the roadless rule, it really is here to protect us. And so there's a lot of things that we can do in roadless areas, right? It's public land. So that means we can hunt, we can fish, camp, you know, hike, bike, we can cut our own firewood for our cabins. You can pick berries. You know, I mean, the list goes on, right? It's a public land, you can use it for what you will. It's also there for forest restoration projects, so um, anything to improve, like, species habitats, um, restore ecosystems, any, like, work to prevent wildfires, that's all allowed. The oil, gas, and mineral exploration is actually allowed under the current roadless rule, so future oil, gas, and mineral development is allowed. Um, And all existing rights are unaffected by the roadless rule.
1: And... (laughs) The governor and I believe your senator are not on board with what the Trump administration wants to do by reallowing people to go in there. Um, Is he just trying to go over their heads just to make his buddies more rich?
2: Yeah. So our our current governor and President Trump are they seem to have a friendship that they both are seeing eye to eye when it comes to opening the Tongass uh, and a full exemption from the roadless rule. Yeah. And so you know, I mean, my whole thing is that there, you know, there's a sustainable way to do things and clear-cut old growth logging is not that in the Tongass. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, what, yeah, what the roadless rule really is stopping. So clear-cut logging of old growth forests, you know, realistically, that's some of the most damaging type of logging um, in these prohibited, like, roadless areas. And then logging roads with the intent to commercial log off of them. Um, You can't build a new logging road. And that also, you know, I mean, that it increases sediment into all the streams. It blocks salmon migration. It just, it can really ruin a great spawning habitat for salmon, trout and steelhead. And so
1: people be taking ATVs and other things through the streams where these fish would be spawning and disturbing their nesting habitats.
2: I mean, I, one can assume yes. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but you know, I mean the easiest way up a hillside or down a hillside is through the river.
1: Do you call them ATVs up there?
2: I would call them four wheelers, but four-wheelers. yeah. Yeah. Same thing.
1: Okay, I've yeah. got the old terminology. Like I still call <laughs> yeah. it a sea do, a jet ski. The one they used to stand up on. Yeah. Now i have young clients. I'm like, it's a jet ski and they look at me. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, come on, I'm not that old.
2: What do people call them now? I would call them a jet ski as well.
1: Oh, because the jet ski was the one you used to stand up on. You may remember the MacGyver episode when he was in Europe and he was in a A coffin, and he had to escape the country, so they threw the coffin overboard, and he broke out of it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. There's some other things. I had a fifth-grade client the other day (laughs) and his second-grade brother. I said, I'm going somewhere. No, I went fishing for seven days, and he said, why don't you just call it going for a week? It's easier. And I looked at this kid, and I'm like, all right, you got a point. (laughs) Yeah, the kids will correct me these days. You're not wrong. What about uh, the massive influx of reality shows filmed in Alaska? Are there any that focus in and around the Tongass?
2: Um, Gosh, I think that the one that's closest to Juneau is probably Gold Rush Days, which takes place in Haynes, which is like a four-hour ferry ride away from here.
1: I don't like watching shows like that where
2: they're just (laughs) where they're just
1: slurping up the bottom and dredging and all that. Yeah, I don't know how that makes it on TV.
2: People are interested about Alaska. I think (sighs) that that's really it, right? Is that Alaska sort of has this like air of mystery for most people, and it seems you know it seems like it's so far away and it's such an exotic place. When in reality, we're not that far away. You know, it's it's about a two and a half hour flight from Juneau to Seattle. Alaska's a massive state so it is hard to get everywhere but you know it's not it's not so disconnected.
1: Right. <laughs> I plan on making a reality show about making <clears throat> Alaskan reality shows.
2: <laughs> Just travel to all of the spots. Yeah. That would be a great show. That actually might be worth watching.
1: <laughs> so other than you know people like me who live on the East Coast who've never been to Alaska, you know I know there's bears, eagles and salmon. I I've, I've seen some of these shows where people mm-hmm. live in the woods, hunt and fish and survive. What other and you know, organisms live there that, that are going to be protected if we can't mine and log and drill up there. What what are the, you know, what are the Tongass known for that somebody out of state that doesn't have a reality TV cable channel, what would they want, be wanting to protect?
2: So here in southeast, we have, so there's all five species of Pacific salmon. And so that's the king salmon, the sockeye salmon, the silver salmon. Uh, chum salmon and pink salmon, and so there's wild runs of all five species of these fish. We also have the steelhead, um, which is, I mean, most people know about steelhead, I would presume. Oh yes. Um, we in southeast predominantly we have um, our trout are the sea-run cutthroat trout, and then the Dolly Varden, which is sort of like the cousin to the Arctic char, and then we have some rainbow trout in places. And then in a few places there's also some grayling, but most predominantly it's cutthroat and dolly Barton.
1: Are there non-sport fish species that also live there?
2: Uh, the non-sport fish would be the trout and the steelhead. Yep.
1: Really, you don't have like we've got bluegills well, and stuff here. Well, I are sport fish.
2: No, I guess those are sport fishing. I mean, I go out and catch them. We really don't. There are, you know, there's rockfish and halibut. I don't know. We don't have any like bluegills. We don't have any
1: What's a bycatch um, when you're up there? I hear Dolly Varden is a bycatch.
2: Yeah, that's kind of the bycatches that you'll be fishing for for salmon and you'll catch dollies. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I get, there's I get there's down a lot with of that. those. Yeah. There's a lot of those. And you know, and they range in size like so much and you know, in the springtime it's super fun. They're just like they're cruising the beaches and they feed on salmon fry in the summer, in the spring. Um, With all the out migrating salmon smolt, they just cruise the beach lines. And so you're fishing actually in the estuary. So where the saltwater and freshwater mix, and you can use like small, you know, spinners, or for me, I use little bait fish patterns, um, and just mimic the salmon fry. And they're just like, yeah, they're little animals. They just they love eating. (laughs) Yeah, and they're super fun to catch around, you know,
1: what about the beads? Are you down with the beads? Is that a necessity?
2: a lot of people fish beads yeah so i mean you know especially when the salmon are in full spawn um it's hard to beat bead fishing i don't bead fish as often as i used to anymore just because i like to try to trick fish in other ways because that's you know i think essentially part of fly fishing is that you're just tricking the fish to to eat your lure um or your fly and
0: midway usa brand product designers have one straightforward goal
2: you know I'll go out with a friend and they'll bead fish and I will have like a little you know a little attractor pattern on and they will 100% outfish me but I still scratch up a few so it's still good fishing
1: <laughs> I'd rather scratch up a few than then again yeah. I haven't done it before my buddy Mac last week said he went did some pegging of beads and it was quite successful
2: Yeah I can't knock it till I'm there sometimes it's it's like it's so insane um and if you just want I mean Last summer, I think I had, I had two friends visiting, the three of us were fishing. And I think between the three of us on one watershed in one day, I think there were probably like 150 dollies landed. I mean, -hmm. it was, it was insane. Every cast, every, you know, you're just sitting there with your like, you know, with your fly dangling and you catch a fish. It it was like, yeah. So if you really just want to rack up some numbers and and have a lot of fun that way, then it was, it was really fun.
1: Do people eat Dolly Varden?
2: They can, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's you know, it's any other trout. and so they're smaller. They range anywhere from like I would say eight to twenty inches usually in southeast. And I will say, I mean, I grew up in in Southeast Alaska, and I will be the first to admit that I am a fish snob <laughs> through and through. and um I would prefer to eat a salmon over a trout any day. And what's your um, favorite
1: salmon to eat?
2: Um, my favorite salmon, I think is the king salmon, um for sure. I think the the oil content, the flavor, is really the best. Technically, the sockeye has more oils in their meat, and so they're the oiliest. But um, I really like the the, the king salmon. Are
1: you going for the spring chinooks
2: um, for the more so fat content? You could go all over, but you know, typically the the sport fishing season for kings is is sort of May through June. Uh, well, May through late May, early July. Yeah, and so I actually this is the first year I caught like the biggest King salmon I've ever caught on the fly this year. And it, the the fight was way longer than I, you know, had hoped. Um, but it was, um, and I harvested it. I, I took it home for dinner and it was 30 pounds gutted and gilled. (laughs) Um, and so it was, yeah, it was crazy. I, I like shed a little tear when I landed it.
1: (laughs) What's your setup and rigging and and whole outfit for salmon fishing
2: for salmon fishing? Like generally an eight weight fly rod is the go-to, um, You know, I mean, silvers range anywhere. They're probably average like 12 pounds around these areas. They can get as, you know, as big as 17 on average. Um, And then, so they're really like kind of the powerhouses um, aside from kings. And then, you know, for pink salmon, they're usually, eh, you know, five-pound fish or so. But oftentimes when you're casting to them, it's like windy, so an eight-weight is still necessary. Chum, same thing, eight-weight across the board. For kings, I typically use um, a 10 weight just because I, you know, it's it's sort of that question of like, you probably could land a, a big king on a on an eight weight if you tired it out enough, but are you going to tire out before the fish or is the fish going to tire out before you? I think I would probably tire out before the king, so I definitely upped my game with the 10 weight um, and use that. And then, yeah, for just about every other salmon species, though, I use um, an eight weight And typically a lot of our fishing is sort of like estuary based, um, as well as freshwater based. And so I like to have a a solid aluminum reel.
1: Um, yeah. Do your flies change when you're targeting different species?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Typically. Um, you know, I mean, it's a funny one, like with pink salmon, typically they eat anything pink with silvers. They kind of vary. They could, you know, they could be eating any color fly. But typically, it's trying, you're trying to like use a color that's contrasting to what's going on outside, um, and then a fly that sort of it flashes and it displaces a little bit of water. So there's a lot of streamer fishing around here, you know, just sort of rabbit string leeches. Um, the Dalai Lama is like the fly of Alaska right now. And although it's, it's a really difficult one to cast because it's so heavy, um, I think that's why it's so productive is because it really dips and dives in the water. Yeah. So, I mean, color changes, the size of the fly changes. Obviously, you know, you can't really fish a five, you know, your your fly that you're using for a pink salmon, which is, you know, made for a five-pound fish versus a fly that's made for a king salmon, which is a, you know, 30-pound fish. A um, little different. <laughs> you got to have a bigger hook and a bigger sort of body to the fly.
1: Will they bend the hooks out for the bigger kings? Y-
2: yeah, they will. Yeah. Yeah. I bent a hook out last year, so I, I used some... More expensive hooks this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And what is winter like for you?
2: You know, so winter in Southeast is sort of, um, it's not like you, you know, I think people would imagine that like winter in Alaska is like because we're on saltwater. Like I'm looking out my, you know, my living room window right now and I can see the, you know, a local harbor and the saltwater right in front. What?
1: Um, I see Jimmy yeah. and Bonnie's house and I see Olga's <laughs> house and a dead maple tree
2: yeah so i power lines um yeah in juneau i live um on douglas island and so it's an island surrounded by salt water there's one bridge to juneau from and it's uh yeah so i mean salt water everywhere and so because of that our winters are pretty moderate right i mean we get snow in the mountains but a lot of like on and and on the ground here too but it's a lot of rain. <laughs> we get a lot of rain, so the Tongass National Forest is actually the largest temperate rainforest, or the largest intact temperate rainforest in the U.S. Actually, I think that's globally. But um, so it it really is that we're it's saltwater sort of enhanced, and so we get a lot of a lot more rain than snow in Juneau.
1: And yeah. Being that it's the largest, it's not just America's to protect. It's kind of it's kind of everybody's. Because the salmon aren't just going to eat – they're going to feed everyone across the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. China can't grow their own food, so they got to take our pigs and our salmon.
2: Yep. Yep. I mean, I think that, yeah, like the commercial-caught salmon definitely help feed, you know, the world. I wish that I had statistics on how far the fish go, but I I unfortunately don't. But, yeah, I mean, I think that the – I think that the rivers, lakes and streams in the Tongass produce about 80 percent of the commercial salmon annually harvested from southeast. Um, So
1: if they do come in and start tearing it up, how long do you think it would take or is it predicted how long that would basically take to destroy the environment, bring all of that economy to a halt?
2: I don't know. I mean, that's a great question. I don't I don't know the answer to so I can't really speak to it. All I know is that, you know, I mean, my, yeah, the memories that I had from my childhood would drastically change from those of, like, children growing up now if it did happen.
1: <laughs> Has it changed at all? Is it getting better? Like, or have you seen a decline uh, since the Bush administration tried to reverse some of the rules in the early 2000s?
2: Um, I haven't seen a ton. You know, I mean, the sort of the, I guess, one of the other issues with logging, right, is that there's not a ton of money in it anymore. There there used to be, but a lot of it was sort of supported by, you know, federal subsidies and whatnot. And so nowadays it's there's not much money in it. So there's been a few timber sales that the Forest Service has tried to make and, you know, nobody will bid on them. QU Island, there's been a few, you know, open timber sales and nobody wants to buy it.
1: So why um, would they want to reopen it up to allow logging if no one's buying it?
2: It's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> that I don't know the answer to.
1: <laughs> My goodness. What yeah. other are the natural resources there besides the fish, the minerals, the trees? Is it just priceless that it's there? And it's yeah. worth more being attacked than it is if they destroy it.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that oh, there's a statistic I think that the Tongass holds 6% of carbon emitted in, you know, the US or the world. Um and, like, that's a lot. <laughs>
1: How big are those trees? Um, if they're Pacific Northwest rainforest trees, those things have got to be pretty darn big.
2: A lot of them are, yeah. They're not as big as, like, the redwoods by any means. But I have gone to a few areas where you look at the trees and it's it's insane. Um, our trees sort of grow in a canopy format more so. And so they grow taller than they do wide. Um and so it's sort of an interesting they're all I've always heard it and I don't know if it's a true fact but I've always heard it that they're all fighting for the sunlight.
1: Yeah, it's right, so same they, in the rainforest.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so they grow super tall. Um and you know, I mean a big <laughs> yeah, um a big issue with our trees here too is that when we get a huge rain a uh, huge windstorm, oftentimes those roots are sort of they're all bedded together and they're not tap roots and so they're very like low soil roots. Um, If one falls over, a lot of them fall over, right? (laughs) Because of the sort of just the way that they're they're growing. Super tall and not super wide. But yeah, the forest around here is wild. You know, I mean, we have the large canopy of trees. It's mostly made up of spruce, hemlock, and then some yellow cedar. And then underneath that, you know, I think there's hundreds of different types of ferns, berries, plants. One of our main plants that nobody seems to like a ton is the devil's club plant, which
1: I've heard about um, that.
2: Yeah, it's super piney. You get those needles in you and they just don't come out for a long time. But they also refer to it as almost like the ginseng of Alaska. Um, it has like major medicinal you know, properties and it's sort of a it's a really cool plant, but it's it's a hard one to, to harvest and deal with.
1: <laughs> what would it have thorns to protect itself from?
2: You know, probably from us, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Does it make fruit, berries, flowers? Is something trying to eat it?
2: No, just humans. You know, I mean, you can harvest um, the buds in the springtime when they're blooming um, and you can make a a ton of food out of that. You also can, the stalk and the root all have medicinal properties as well. So you can make teas, you can make salves. It's supposed to be really great for like arthritis and for um, skin problems.
1: Skin problems Uh, you get when you get punctured by its thorns?
2: Yeah, probably, yes. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> what else yeah. up there is dangerous besides the bears? But apparently every time <laughs> I see the bears, they're too preoccupied with the fish.
2: Yeah. Unless so you're out of a like, Kodiak. Um, yeah, I mean, the bear population is pretty massive here. I'm kind of thankful because here in Juneau itself, uh, the major bear population are black bears. And so our black bears are fairly small and, you know, I mean, you know, typical sort of Urbanized bears, a lot of them. I sort of, you know, like in my parents' neighborhood, below the hills um, or below the mountains. They're they're generally we see a couple in the yard every year, and they're generally after your trash. You shoo them away, and they don't come back. <laughs> there are some like brown bears that are moving into the area, um, and so that's always a little freaky. Um, yeah, a lot of the areas I guess do have brown bear populations, and so they're our biggest sort of predator in the area. Um, there's also wolves in, in the Juneau area and just the Southeast Alaska area, lots of deer. We have the Sitka blacktail deer, not that that's a predator of ours, but, um, that's an animal in the area. Lots of like grouse and ptarmigan. Um,
1: what about non-native species? If somebody were to come from 400 years ago, would they still recognize that area as what it was back in the day? you look around here and there's there's not a whole lot of native stuff left Mm -hmm. we got just birds and bugs and plants galore that do not belong in virginia yeah do you have starlings Uh, out there i
2: don't even know what a starling is
1: that's a good answer i think you're good (laughs) there Uh, was the bird from england and then the guy wanted all the shakespearean mentioned birds in central park so he released a couple dozen in the 1800s and now there's Two and a half billion of them in North oh, America. Gosh.
2: No, I don't think we have starlings. We do, you know, we have pigeons, but I don't think that those were introduced here. I wouldn't imagine that they were, and they are probably just here, but I don't know the answer to that one. Yeah, um, I guess back
1: in the day, those were called rock doves and they were native.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would assume that they're native, but I don't, you know, to my knowledge, there hasn't been much introduced in the area that has sort of stuck.
1: Would it just not live because it's a harsh environment?
2: Maybe, yeah. It's also just, I mean, it's kind of a wild environment, so I don't know why we would need more um, non-native species. Right.
1: Now, Alaska yeah. State Troopers, is that a real show?
2: Um, I've never watched it, so I, I don't know. I think so. Um, I think a lot of it is based in... South Central, maybe? I haven't... Yeah, I've never known it to be a Southeast Alaska-based.
1: Did you ever watch Slednecks?
2: I did not watch Slednecks, no.
1: That was one of my other Alaskan educational shows.
2: (laughs) Your guilty indulgence.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we don't have much stations anymore. I think that was a one-season-only thing. But everyone wore the brown boots with the little like, light-colored rim around them.
2: The the extra tufts.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's what my neighbor wears. She used to be in Alaska for the Coast Guard.
2: Yeah. They're awesome boots. They, um, yeah, it's sort of a funny. Uh, you know, it starts raining in the fall, and that's like the sh- the Alaskan sneaker.
1: <laughs> does that bring a lot of mosquitoes?
2: Um, the summers.
1: Yeah, the right. rains.
2: Um, the summertime it does get pretty. Yeah, we we do get some mosquitoes in the area. We also get the little black gnats, which are like the noceums, which are a real pain in the neck. Those ones are almost worse than mosquitoes, I think. <laughs> Mosquitoes—you can see them. You have a chance of the, like slapping them before they bite you. But yeah, you can hear um, them coming. Yeah, exactly. We
1: have the large Asian tiger mosquitoes here, and oh, you can gosh. definitely hear those things coming.
2: Yeah, you can typically—you you can typically hear ours. But do you ever have to worry <laughs> yeah. about
1: stepping on snakes?
2: No, there's no snakes, and there's really—I think like the there one poisonous spider, like the black recluse or the brown recluse maybe—and um, I've never seen one. Um, so
1: You're like the opposite of Australia.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, we, you know, aside from bears, I, you know, and, and wolves, I guess um, humans are pretty much the top of the food chain here. So there's not, I mean, I love it. (laughs) You know, I can like leave my house and within, you know, 15 minutes I can be on my favorite river and I can go alone and I don't have to be like worried about my safety. Uh, And that's like, really, it's great. It's reassuring. (laughs)
1: It's quite unique. yeah. If my I, kids I climbing yeah. the front yard tree, I'm out there watching just because you never know who's around here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I guess that, you know, generally I'll eventually have to worry about things like that, but, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't necessarily worry about myself and, you know, I mean, I think that it's. I'm, I'm lucky too. I grew up in an area where my, my parents, you know, taught me basic skills and you know, the, what we say in Juneau is that cotton kills. And so you never really wear cotton when you're out fishing or hunting or whatever, because if it starts raining and whatnot, you'll never dry. Um, and so I think that that's probably one of our biggest threats in Southeast Alaska is like hypothermia. <laughs> you know, you get wet and you can't dry. Um, and so what, that's what are you going to
1: gear that. up with? Uh, it's all polypropylene, synthetic mm-hmm. down? Yep. A lot of Gore-Tex? Yep.
2: yep. A lot of Gore-Tex, a lot of synthetics, um, a lot of wools. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't own much cotton. Um, and I've had friends that have moved to Juneau and you know, I say like, Oh, you know, cotton kills. And they're like, what, what does that even mean? You sound like an old man. You know, this is like a weird anecdote you're saying, what does it mean? And I'm like, well, you think about it, you know, (laughs) you, you get wet or even hiking up a mountain, you get sweaty and then you sit down and you get cold and you can't get warm again. And so you need things that will, yeah, will like wick your sweat, wick the water away and they'll still keep you warm.
1: Do most of the people that are outdoorsy, do they respect the environment there, knowing that it's such a large part of the lifestyle and income?
2: Yeah. I mean, the people that I know that that sort of use the areas um, for public recreation definitely respect it. And, yeah, you know, I mean, it provides us with something, and we don't want to lose that.
1: (laughs) And I imagine with a small population, if someone does go out and do something, everyone's going to know about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we all read the, the public, um, you know, what is it? The reports that the, the troopers and stuff put out. And so, yeah, if you get caught um, illegally harvesting the wrong size Dungeness crab, um, your name's in the paper and you're, you know, people are going to know about it. So
1: is there an yeah. Alaskan equivalent of Florida man?
2: I don't know what Florida man is.
1: Oh, OK. Is Do you have your phone? Yeah. With Google your birth date and the word Florida man. See My what comes God. up. This is apparently a drinking game at the parents during our spring break trip this year.
2: <laughs> Florida man.
1: As Debbie Hansen said, all nuts roll downhill. <laughs> and that's why all these people end up in Florida.
2: Oh man. Florida man damages parked cars because he could not find his car.
1: Yep, yeah, that's a Florida man for you.
2: Oh. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think we have an equivalent to that.
1: <laughs> so, when you're working with TU, do you go up into the Tongass and work, or is it mostly like office job? Um, okay, field work versus desk?
2: Yeah, I mean it's kind of both. So my my position is is outreach coordinator, um, and so that could be you know sending an email, that could be you know taking a group out and showing them the Tongass, um, and so it definitely varies, which is fun for me, um, you know, one of my um, co-workers from South Central came down and her and I got to like go out fishing for the day. And um, I got to like show her some of my local, you know, my favorite creeks. Um, we went out in the boat one day and went out to Admiralty Island and um, went fishing over there. And it was just, you know, it was great. And so um, for that, a lot of it, I think I, I like to think of my job as sort of an educational based job where I'm just I'm helping other people understand what's going on in the Tongass and why we should care um and so it definitely i think every day (laughs) changes yeah
1: that's a pretty sweet job that you get to go out and take people fishing i once worked at a job where they would take everyone golfing oh and i just was with the other people that stayed behind and everyone would come back drunk and sunburnt. i'm like great
2: (laughs) and you didn't want to partake in that
1: i was never invited Mm. quality assurance managers don't get to have fun
2: no, I guess that's true.
1: That was <laughs> yeah, you're there to make time.
2: sure that everyone everyone else keeps their yeah. stuff and then, together.
1: One time everyone was out and we were having a rubber band fight across the cubicles. And one <laughs> of our coworkers told on us. What? And we got reprimanded.
2: Yeah. No, that's that's not fun.
1: <laughs> I could do an hour podcast just about that dude. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I've had Ugh. some interesting coworkers, but, but Robert yeah. was one of them. He was a strange bird. I
2: mean, we all have interesting coworkers. I only actually um, in so with this like Trout Unlimited has sort of um, branches all over the U.S. Um, and in Alaska, I think there's like six of us, but only three of us, or I guess there's maybe seven or eight of us, but only three of us are in Southeast. So we all work remotely from our houses, um, and we you know meet once a week, and we have meetings all we you know throughout the week. But um, it's sort of an interesting dynamic. I mean, we're definitely sort of. You know, I don't, I don't think of Juno as a remote community because we have, you know, everything that I think you would need. We have a Costco, we have a Fred Meyer, we have, you know, a McDonald's, but, uh, you know, working remotely is, yeah, it's, it's sort of an, in, like interesting, intriguing thing. So, um, yeah.
1: What are some of the other projects, the other coworkers are working on?
2: Um, where's Congress going to be like
1: the, the big one that everyone's going to have to be fighting against now?
2: Yeah, so the Tongass, the roadless rule appeal right now is sort of the biggest one on everyone's radar. Another sort of, you know, underlying issue that eventually will pop up again is um, that there's a lot of transboundary mine issues, like mines popping up in BC right now. Um, And they're right at the headwaters of a lot of our um, sort of powerhouse rivers and streams. And so that's not my main focus like today necessarily, but um, it will be... um, you know come future
1: are you just worried about mine tailings coming downstream downhill yep
2: yep exactly yeah and it's it's sort of been an ongoing issue both like in washington state um idaho montana as well and now it's also you know starting to starting to pop up more in alaska too
1: so umqua is they got a whole line of tongas bags yep and that is the proceeds going to you guys
2: Yep, the proceeds were going to, um, or, you know, a, a portion of the proceeds are going to the Tongass um, initiative. And so that was going to, yeah, like stream restoration project in the Tongass.
1: So one way people can get involved is go yep. out and buy yeah, one way they can gear. go.
2: Yep, exactly. Another way is, you know, realistically with this, the roadless repeal comments, we really could use all of the public's input. And comment and tell the U.S. Forest Service that you want the Roadless Rule to stay intact. Yeah, is there that, a the form
1: one. on the TU website listeners can go to and click and send a letter to representatives?
2: There is, yeah. So there's there's um, a form letter on the TU webpage. There's also a form letter on the American Salmon Forest webpage, and so that's sort of the the branch of TU that I'm working with um, at the moment. And so the American Salmon Forest was made it's a coalition of sport anglers commercial anglers and it's just a coalition of people to come together to support wild salmon and wildlife habitats and so on that web page that has like the mecca of information about what's going on in the tongas and then how you can get involved how you can take action all through that
1: what about our listeners that could be in japan australia finland can they get involved as well
2: yeah absolutely i mean you know, there's so many people that come and visit the Tongass um, and fish these waters and hunt these these places that, you know, I mean, that's the one thing that I know I'm very salmon and trout oriented, but there are a huge, you know, number of people that come and they bear hunt and they deer hunt. And um, that could also greatly be affected if, you know, these areas are clear cut logged. So there's definitely, you know, if you can jump onto the webpage, americansalmonforest.org, you know, you can take action through that and, yeah, I don't see why not.
1: Are there other organizations in and around where you live that are non-fish related that are trying to get this law to stay put? Are there like birding groups or whale watchers?
2: Yep. Maybe not as many whale watchers, but a lot of, um, you know, hunting, fishing, guiding, and a lot of tourism industries. Um, and so All the people that of-
1: make a living off of it are the ones yep. that are mostly voicing.
2: Yep, exactly. Concern. Yeah. Yeah, for anyone that it, like could harm like the people and the economy of Southeast, like all those people are getting involved.
1: And does the word Tongus translate to something?
2: You know, I think that it was a clinket word. So the I think the Tongus National Forest it was named for the Tongus clan of clinket Indians, which is one of it's like one of the Indian tribes that was based here in in Juneau or in Southeast Alaska in general. And I I think that that's where it derives from, but I am not 100% sure on that.
1: What about distilleries and breweries that water comes from the Tongass? Are they concerned as well?
2: I mean, they should be. <laughs> yeah, there are. There's, you know, like in any um, city, we have a bunch of breweries popping up and we have um, one distillery in town. And yeah, all of them, you know, I applaud all of them because they're all um, local people and most of them grew up here in Juneau. And so, a lot of them are getting involved strictly because they do recreate in these areas. You know, they hunt, they fish, they camp in these protected areas. Yeah.
1: And even with all these activities of people out there, you still can go out and not bump into somebody.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, Saturday, um, you know, a friend of mine and I went out and we, um, we launched our boat at 7am and we like, you know, Put out, we went out and we hiked up a, a hillside. We sat in a meadow for a couple of hours and we shot a Sitka blacktail deer. We harvested it and we were home before 1 p.m. and we did, didn't see a soul. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, for things like that, it's, I mean, Juneau and Southeast in general is, is pretty amazing.
1: Like I told, uh, I don't remember who I was interviewing a couple of weeks ago, that if I want peace and quiet like that, I have to go into my shed. Yeah, I I closed the shed and I'll, you know, I was watching the boys on Amazon in there for a while with you know a couple of cans of beer lined up. Yeah, that's the only quiet place I know of.
2: Yeah, well, you definitely should come visit Alaska then.
1: (laughs) It has been on my list for so many years. My parents went there when I was seven and didn't bring me, and all we have are the home movies my dad made, and nobody ever wants to watch those.
2: Yeah, I mean. You know, I think if you were to come up on a cruise ship, like, yeah, you got a lot of the, like, hustle and bustle of people and whatnot. But if you were to come up and you could, you know, take the Alaska State Ferry um, and go to a couple of the smaller communities and, like, drive around and you can camp, it's, yeah, it's such a great way to, like, travel and to visit the area. There is a ton of access to different, like, lakes and streams and, and whatnot in the area that are only accessible by float plane, um, and so that's really great too. Um, you know, earlier this summer, I, I took a float plane out we, you know, chartered a float plane and went out with, there were four of us and we went out camping for a few days and, you know, we didn't even so much as hear an airplane go over.
1: Wow. Did um, you grow up in float planes being that your dad flew them?
2: Yeah. So he, yeah, my dad is an airplane mechanic in the area. And so he grew up, um, or when I was growing up, you know, we would, you know, there'd be a deadhead somewhere and we'd jump in it and, you know, we'd hit the road and, My grandfather, like, had a passion for, he really loved cutthroat trout, and so um, most of the lakes in the area have cutthroat trout in them. That's, like, the one species that they all sort of have, and so we would go out to the lakes, and, you know, there were some times where we would spend two weeks at a lake and, you know, just camp and fish and, you know, sit around the campfire, and I, you know, was, like, 10-year-old Kayla running around. Yeah, and so that's, I think, my childhood was, like, a really rich upbringing because of that, and It really sort of gave me that like respect for the outdoors. Yeah. And I'm yeah, that's kind of how I grew up. So I'm way more comfortable in a float plane and just a plane in general than I am in a car.
1: What (laughs) would you tell somebody that's gonna go on their first float plane trip?
0: The nineteen eleven is one of the most iconic firearms in history, designed by John Browning. The nineteen eleven was the standard issue sidearm of the US military from nineteen eleven to nineteen eighty-five. While Colt produced the original. Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to
1: midwayusa.com. Things that, Um, that they should not worry about.
2: Yeah. You know, it's just so interesting because I, you know, this, this actually the float plane trip where we went out camping, um, Three of the people that i was with there were only four of us so you know the three people i was with had never been in a float plane and it kind of blew my mind uh i just think it's like second nature for me you can see you're sitting next to the pilot you can see exactly what he's doing every time he like changes and adjusts anything the the flaps and things and um i find comfort in that <laughs> whereas you know i think some people it could be a nerve-wracking process but i definitely find comfort in that so
1: what about when you come in for a landing I assume that's got to be... You're probably used to it by now, but I would be all yeah. white right-knuckled.
2: I mean, again, you can see it happening, you know, and you're landing on a lake that's, you know, 3 to 10 miles long. So um, there's usually not too much to worry about.
1: Three, <laughs> I, 3 to 10-mile long lake. And here, <laughs> there are no natural lakes.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, they're all... Yeah. All the artificial. So having that many lakes up there, and each one is just... Big. <laughs> big and uninhabited
2: yeah
1: how's the changing climate i hear it's been very warm up there in the summers is that where you are
2: yeah um here in Juneau, i mean i think we had the warmest summer that we've had on the books i think we broke several records yeah it definitely i mean it was kind of it it was nice you know, I mean, I, I got out on a lot of adventures and things, but it also, it impacted my fishing a lot. You know, the creeks didn't have any water flowing. And so the fish were really, really sort of starved for water, starved for oxygen in the water. And it, it was kind of a, kind of a freaky thing to watch. You know, a lot of the salmon returning were just like hanging on the estuaries for longer because there wasn't enough water to go up into the creeks um and that just you know it gives more time for like the seals and sea lions and whatnot to pick them off and so it was you know I really I did not creek fish nearly as much as I did you know or I normally do because the water was so low and the fish were just so pressured already and yeah so it it was kind of a freaky summer for that but it was also nice because we had sun but um you know we live in a rainforest we need rain fish need water
1: (laughs) have you seen changes throughout your years in the weather Other than that, it's just Um, getting hotter?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think, like, getting warmer is definitely the easiest, you know, aspect to notice. Um, It's also just over the years, you know, um, here in Juneau, the Mendenhall Glacier is, like, in our backyard, essentially, and you can see it just by driving up to it. And even in my lifetime, you know, I've seen that the glacier recede, you know, infinitely. And so, you know, in that, you can see sort of impacts like that happen, um, a lot of it is just, you know, less snowfall, more rainfall in the in the in the winters. You know, we have a, an awesome ski area here. The last few years have just been um, hard for them because they're like trying to make as much snow as they possibly can. But then it warms up too much and they can't and and all this stuff because there's just not enough snow coming down. There's too much rain coming down. And so I see impacts like that more so than, um, you know, actual scientific changes
1: <laughs> does because not those are the things having,
2: that
1: i do <laughs> does not having a snowpack affect them in the summer so I, I know the rain brings the water levels up but how much snow melt goes into the rivers that are then feeding where the salmon and steelhead are migrating from
2: no that definitely has a huge impact on it in the spring um with the snow melt off and whatnot um you'd hope that the the rivers rise and so that you know the the steelhead come in and then like the smolts the um the salmon fry and whatnot out migrate, um, without that rise, the water gets too warm, the water is too low and the fish don't either return or exit. Um, and so it's definitely impacting. And even throughout the summer, you know, if we had had a, a heavier snow pack last year, I don't think that this summer would have, you know, the, the rivers would have been as low, um, for this, for the salmon,
1: when does it the been snow usually start falling?
2: You know, we had like a dusting up on the mountains a few days ago, um, but it, you know, typically I would say like mm, December is really when we start getting snow, Um, December through February.
1: So white Christmas?
2: Yep. A white Christmas typically. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I haven't touched a snow shovel since 2016.
2: Oh gosh. You're lucky then. It's kind of brutal here in Juneau because it will, it snows. And then it rains, and so it just like pressurizes the snow down on the ground, and you can't. It's like too heavy to shovel, and then it freezes. Like without a doubt, it'll always freeze after that, and so then it's just an ice rink everywhere. (laughs) So you're just like
1: cancel school for.
2: Man, I think I only had like three snow days in my life growing up here, and typically it was because it snowed like a foot or two overnight, and they just couldn't plow in time, and so it was like unsuitable and unsafe. And I think there was like one day, probably six years ago, that the university in town said, "Okay, if you if you don't live on campus, you don't have to come because there was so much ice everywhere that it was like black ice. um, And it was, you know, it was just scary to drive in.
1: Do your schools have air conditioning? Do you guys have air conditioning?
2: No, typically no. Is that
1: going to become an issue now that you're getting that heat in the summer?
2: (laughs) Probably. Yeah. I mean, I bought a box fan this summer for that reason. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, not really any air conditioners. I mean, I think our average temperature in the summer is usually like, you know, high fifties, like, you know, mid sixties. Um, and this summer we definitely hit like the eighties a few times, which is, uh, unlike Southeast Alaska. And it's sort of interesting because it's a rainforest, you know, I mean, Juneau is a pretty humid place. And so, you know, one of my um, good friends is from Arizona now and he's like, wow, I've never dealt with this humidity before. He's like, I deal with heat, but this is totally different. And I'm like, yeah, it's, that's true. You know, it gets a little, I mean, you know, from the East coast.
1: So when it gets hot there, I imagine it's sort of like when it gets cold in Florida You know, when Florida drops to 50 degrees, everyone is wearing hoodies and gloves and sweaters. When it gets that hot up there, are people just sitting outside on a rocking chair, like some old TV commercials, sipping ice lemonade with a fan that yes. they're waving?
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you see like the most incredible amount of like shorts come out and like tank tops and, pasty people. um, yeah. Oh yeah. No, we're all reflecting daylight.
1: <laughs> Y'all get rickets up there.
2: I don't even know what a ricket is.
1: <laughs> it's like lack of vitamins from oh. no sun exposure.
2: <laughs> no, but I will say, you know, I'm sitting here, um, with this <laughs> and I have my happy light on. So this time of year is kind of brutal because we're losing like five minutes of daylight a day. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So in June we had, you know, like 12 hours of daylight a day right now we have like, I don't know. I want to say, or no, it's the opposite. We have about 12. Now we had about 18 then in June, 12 now. So it's, you can like definitely see this like downhill. Yeah. Roller right now. So
1: does anybody make a fly tying happy light? Is that something that hairline needs to come out with?
2: I mean, they should. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Your UV curing happy light. Yeah. (laughs)
1: and before you had that light did you get what is now called seasonal affective disorder
2: yeah I don't know that I've ever I don't know that I've ever felt the real impact I mean I definitely feel like the summertime it's such an interesting concept because in, in Alaska I think in general like the summer you have so much daylight you have so much like nice weather you just like get out and you're always going so I feel like in the summertime I live off of like four hours of sleep on average you know And then in the winter, I'm, like, the opposite. It's like, oh, it's dark, it's cold, it's stormy. I'm just going to go inside and get under a blanket. And I probably average, you know, 10 hours of sleep. And so it's an ebb and flow that you just kind of ride out. Um, And I've never, like, classified it as seasonal depression. But, you know, I mean, I, I try to do what I can to, like, force myself out. And I, like, force myself to the gym and just, like, try to stay active and not become this bump on a log. So... Yeah, I think all of us probably are affected by it, but we're all in denial too.
1: <laughs> Do you all have just really cozy meals during the winter? Like, imagine that moose is going in some crock pots.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Meals, uh, you know, pot pies. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm
1: going to send you my chicken pot pie recipe, then you put biscuits on top. Oh, yes. But no, you I have to get white out. lily flour. I don't know if you can get white lily flour up there. You have to order on Amazon.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I've never even... White lily flour? Yeah. Is that like for the biscuits?
1: Yeah, it's a southern. It's uh, huh. It's low in gluten because it's a winter wheat. So yeah. we're making it right now in our crock pot because, you know, it's the first day of October. I thought maybe it wouldn't be 90 degrees here. Yeah. So I've got <laughs> beef stew cooking in. It's apple cider, bacon, beef broth that all this Yum. chunks cooking with potatoes and onions. And then we're going to have biscuits with that tonight.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely um, will be making a bunch of stews. I think too, with like a bunch of the the cube steak from the moose. So awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know my freezer is definitely it's plugged full with salmon and yeah moose and deer. So what
1: about the birds?
2: Yeah. Um, there's definitely duck hunting around here and like grouse and ptarmigan hunting. Um, I'm not as great at hunting those. <laughs> um. You know the the lead of a shot is not my um, my strong suit.
1: Lead of I don't even know what that is.
2: Uh, well, like when the bird is flying, you have to lead oh, the shot. Yeah. I get you now.
1: Yes, I've done that with yeah. skeet shooting at, at Orvis yeah. once.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did. We call it trap shooting here, and I did trap shooting. I was on an all women's league a few years ago, and um, I think I won I won most handicap shots taken throughout the season. So that pretty much means I was I was the worst, but I kind of improved. All right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah so, I just got well, yeah, Red Rider,
1: one air rifle with a scope, and then some uh, Crossman pistols we pulled out of one of the rivers fishing,
2: and they oh, still gosh. work.
1: Wow. I just had to order. I got biodegradable BBs.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. I don't know how long they take. I can still see some out there in the yard.
2: <laughs> well, you'll just have to time them then. Yeah.
1: Anything Maybe through the winter. Anything else about the Tongass and TU Alaska that... I didn't ask or may have forgotten to ask.
2: I know. I think we covered a lot of it. I mean, yeah, my whole thing is that, you know, like the Tongass for me is sort of like, it's what I like live and breathe. You know, I was born here. I was raised here and I'm, you know, I'm here by choice now. Um, and I, you know, I think there's in Juneau, there's like 30,000 people. I think throughout Southeast, I want to say there's probably 75,000 to a hundred thousand people spread amongst like 32 communities or so. Um, And we all are here because of sort of like what, you know, Southeast Alaska provides us. And that's with like this wild area that we can recreate, that we can hunt, we can fish, we can camp, you know, we can do all these things. And my big thing is that I would just love to see this area protected for future generations. You know, I don't yet have children, but if I ever do, like I want them to be able to have the childhood that I did, you know. Go out Uh, to restaurants now while you can. (laughs) Sleep in. That's what I've heard. So, yeah, I do sleep in as much as I can. <laughs> yeah. No. So I, I just think, you know, the Tongass is, it's one of the most wild places that's still sort of like intact and out there, you know, and like I said, like I can, you know, wake up and I can be fishing within 15 minutes and you don't get that just everywhere.
1: Not here. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> Not and so, close. yeah, I think it's just super important. And so, yeah, I think. You know, if, if anyone's taking anything from this podcast, I really hope that it's just that, like, southeast Alaska and the Tongass is still one of the, like, wild places that everyone should come and visit. Um, and, you know, even if they can't visit, if they have visited, if they've ever been to southeast Alaska, then you've likely been in the Tongass. And just to speak up and to tell the current administration that you want the roadless rule to stay intact and, yeah, that you want those protections on the forest to, to stay intact.
1: Awesome. Right. Yeah,
2: and they can they can do that through the Trout Unlimited webpage or the American Salmon Forest webpage.
1: Any social medias that people should be following?
2: Yeah, so we, we have a couple of social Follow you medias. on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. So my Instagram handle is um AK fly shop girl. Um I still haven't changed it from my days at the fly shop. I just I can't get rid of the handle. I love it too much. Um, and then um, American Salmon Forest on Instagram. Which is the Southeast based TU branch. Um, And then there is Trout Unlimited Alaska. Those are our three main sort of um, Instagram handles. And then, you know, America's Salmon Forest on Facebook and Trout Unlimited Alaska on Facebook as well.
1: All right. You coming out to DC anytime soon?
2: Not that I know of, but if I do, I will definitely let you know. You can show me some of that urban fishing. I've heard that there's there's a place you can um, fish where you're actually like looking at the National Monument.
1: Oh, you're right (laughs) under them
2: really yeah oh my gosh yeah that's like a whole thing i don't even understand
1: (laughs) you get helicopters flying over all day hundreds of people walking around you might you know you
2: might hook a bystander
1: (laughs) yeah you might find a body you never know
2: your bycatch is not wanted
1: (laughs) apparently one of the lifeguards at the neighborhood pool this summer said he rose in anacostia for school yeah and they continuously find bodies and they call it in to the police station and they're like all right thanks they're like and then they hang up that it's so apparently common wow that the police just it's like saying yeah there's a cat stuck in a tree they're like uh uh-huh whatever we'll get to it
2: oh my gosh that's insane well that's another reason why you should come visit the Tonga.
1: yeah all right i got some other questions for you yeah uh do you have any superstitions related to fishing
2: superstitions related to fishing um no you know i don't like to change what's working and like that whole it's always like the grass is always greener scenario where i'm fishing one side of the river and i'm like oh but all the fish are over there and i always tell myself like don't move because it's like yeah it is like a weird superstition like if i move the fish will then be over here so you just have to like put in your time they'll come to you
1: if you had a superhero power to make you a better angler what would you choose
2: oh my gosh um polarized vision
1: (laughs) that'd be pretty sweet
2: yeah, easy answer. Polarized vision. Yeah. And then would you, you just, just wear me.
1: protective glasses so you wouldn't get a hook in your eye oh, or yeah. a, a devil's club?
2: In your yeah, eye? exactly. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't get bushwhacked in the eye.
1: <laughs> if you weren't an angler, what would be your thing?
2: I think hunting. Um, I'd never really um, experienced hunting so much. And now that I have a few times, it's definitely I, I get it. It's it's, you know, the fishing of the forest. Yeah, there's a lot of time that you spend just, like, hiking through the woods with the rifle. Um, But also, I mean, how many hours of I log just walking through the woods with a fly rod, so.
1: Is there a fishing book that you prefer over others that you would read again?
2: Oh, man, I've read so many. Um, No, I don't, I don't have any, like, favorites at this point.
1: Okay. If you could go back in time to fish a pristine environment, where would you go?
2: I would have loved to see the Olympic Peninsula in its prime. Um, all of those wild steelhead rivers um, and with all the salmon populations. Um, yeah, that's where I really would have loved to see in, in the prime.
1: Do you have a bucket list species that's outside of Alaska?
2: Yeah, I think like bonefish is still on my bucket list. Um,
1: you know, it's really hot yeah. where the bonefish are. It's sunny.
2: Yes. Yes, I do. I'm well aware, so okay. I'll be wearing all of the solar gear that you've ever seen and all of the sunblock that you that can buy.
1: What is your home fly shop?
2: Um, the home fly shop is Alaska Fly Fishing Goods.
1: What's your favorite Alaskan beer?
2: Oh man, Alaskan from Alaskan Brewing Company.
1: Any? That's the only one I know of. Is there yeah, any ones so, I should look for?
2: Well, the ones that are most like spread out. The Alaskan Brewing Company is the biggest, and I think I really like the. Um, well, in the springtime, they do a pilot series, which is the Raspberry Wheat, and which is always a really great beer. But I, I really just love the IPA that Alaskan Brewing Company makes.
1: When is it okay to pose for a grip and grin with a rod balanced over your shoulders? Never. <laughs> right on. Correct answer. That was a multiple choice, and there was only one. It was A, and it's never.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't say that I've ever taken that photo, and I can't say that I um, – ever want
1: to i'm fist bumping you from virginia (laughs) uh strangest thing you've found on the water
2: oh gosh um there's a lot of weird things but i think i thought i like caught a pair of old socks one time which was weird for me um
1: a pair like both of them were they rolled up
2: yeah they were rolled up (laughs) it was like they probably fell out of someone's bag yeah.
1: I was going to say, if it was just one sock, now we know where the sock monster takes them after they get exactly, stolen yeah. from the, the dryer.
2: Exactly, yeah, the bottom
1: of the crease. <laughs> And yeah. is there a, a more typical type of litter you find in Alaska than in, or anything that's like a, a typical find, like here, I'm finding the vape pods washed up on boat ramps?
2: Gosh. Um, no, I mean, I think here the most general is probably like mono, you know? From like spinning or fly fly fishing gear, we all have our Christmas tree holes that you know are littered with flies and lures. But I would say like beer cans are a big one.
1: Do you have a deposit in Alaska?
2: A deposit
1: for cans and bottles.
2: We have yeah, we have a recycling center, and it's interesting because they all have to get barged out. So We um, we yeah, it's just cans. And plastics. I figure glass recycling anymore.
1: If we had a deposit here, our shorelines and roadsides would have a lot less litter in them. Yeah.
2: Oh, you know what a lot of our weird litter is? Is that all you'll be walking along and you just find like a pile, a mass pile of like fish um, bodies, you know, like people have laid them out and then just thrown all the body carcasses and whatnot. And yeah, that's a big one too. Interesting. Yeah. That's pretty gnarly. Right.
1: Uh, if you're eating a moose hot dog, are you gonna put ketchup or mustard on it?
2: Um, spicy mustard.
1: Okay. If you had a band to follow you around and play a theme song, what song would they play? Oh
2: my gosh, the song that I um, that I always sing when I'm fishing, and it's always when I'm not catching fish, is um, one of the songs from the Muppets that goes manana-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na
1: <laughs> I know that one. I
2: don't know. You do know that one? Yeah. Yeah. So that that would be my fishing theme song only when I'm getting skunked. All
1: right. Do you have a preference for toilet paper over or under?
2: Um, over always. I once had it under, and I pulled a strip out, and there was a spider on it, and I will never go under anymore.
1: (laughs) Which house in Harry Potter would you belong to?
2: Probably Gryffindor. Okay. Yep.
1: What's your favorite part of a Thanksgiving dinner?
2: The stuffing yes. or the squash. I love squash too. I'm the only person in my family that does.
1: Oh, do we make a butternut squash gratin? We got from the P. Allen Smith TV show.
2: Oh yum! I'm going to have
1: to send that to you. And yes. my wife just made honey nut squash, coconut milk, pureed soup from Bon Appetit. And it was, we grew the oh squash God. out back. That's that awesome. soup was insanely good.
2: Yeah, some of my um like my best friends um or our family friends live in Washington state and they like they're like, "Well, if you send us some fish, we'll send you some fresh produce. What do you want?" And I'm like, "Apples and corn and squash." Awesome. <laughs> and those are my fall harvest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you
1: have a favorite Harrison Ford movie?
2: I don't actually. I mean, I I want to say Indiana Jones just because he was such a badass in those films, yes. but um yeah. <laughs>
1: right. If you do come out to D.C., what is your drink?
2: Oh, my drink. Oh, gosh. I'm just – I'm a gin person, and I love um, like a good bee's knees anywhere b- I
1: go. A bee's knees?
2: Yeah. It's just a – it's a gin cocktail with like simple syrup and lemon
1: typically. And
2: everyone – every like, you know, sort of like cocktail um, connoisseur would like make it with their own twist of something, so – I like to do like a spruce tip, um, simple syrup. So in the spring I'll harvest spruce tips from around here and make a simple syrup with that. And so it just adds like a little bit different flavor.
1: (sighs) You and my wife would get along well, she's been doing (laughs) grapefruit, honey, simple syrup.
2: Yeah, that would be great in a bee's knees. You should look up what what the cocktail is and yeah, try it.
1: (laughs) Do you have any irrational phobias?
2: No, not that I'm aware of, but my—I mean, my best friends might argue with that. I don't know.
1: <laughs> spiders in toilet paper.
2: Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's giving me a new gag. I'm gonna do.
2: Yeah, spy- spiders and toilet paper. It was like not a good way to, to wake up.
1: And so, last question: uh, If you go back in time to see a band in their prime, who would you go see?
2: Oh gosh. Um, band in their prime. I think Led Zeppelin.
1: Excellent choice.
2: Yeah, I—I I mean. You know, I'm of the age that I never saw them live in general, so All
1: right. it would have been great. <laughs> so what's coming up next? What are you going to be for Halloween?
2: I don't know yet. Last year, I dressed up as the, the girl from E.T., um, and it was a great costume, and I don't know how I could ever, like, <laughs> like outdo that one.
1: Do you even get trick-or-treaters on an island?
2: um we do actually you know it's interesting douglas has an ordinance that trick-or-treating is not allowed i think um Ew. they tried to like overrule it but um i grew up in downtown Juno, and so there's trick-or-treaters all over the place and so i typically like go to a friend's house and help hand out candy there
1: what's your choice to hand out this year
2: i mean i love reese's so that's all i buy so that then i can have the leftovers
1: indeed <laughs> all right kayla that's all my questions
2: Awesome. Thank you, you got, Rob. It's so got to be, what,
1: 9 o'clock-ish where you are now? A.M.?
2: Yep. Yep. It's about 9 a.m.
1: Is the sun up?
2: Um, It's pouring down rain outside. and really? Yeah. You can't tell that there's even a sun in this world because it's so gray outside.
1: My goodness.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's a typical October 1 storm. It's good because all those spawning silvers in the creeks definitely are getting their their fix of water. So it's good for them. Very makes cool. Me happy.
1: Yeah. All right, well, Kayla from TU Alaska, thank you for your time and helping us get this message out. And every listener is going to go to the Salmon Forest page in TU Alaska and fill out some forms.
2: Yes, thank you so much for having me, Rob. And if anyone has any questions, you know, feel free to contact me directly um, at Kayla Roy's, Kayla.Royz at tu.org.
1: And if you don't reply, you may be out moose hunting.
2: I know, exactly. But, you know, I'll have an automatic response up that says I'm either out, you know, harvesting some more local meat.
1: (laughs) Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Rob. Have a good one.
1: Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of.